Hello, and welcome to the Bethesda Podcast feed. It's here you can find all of our recorded services. And for more information, you can visit us at gobethesda.com. We hope you enjoy. I'm going to help Pastor move it along. Uh, also, I'm kind of a Bible nerd, so this stuff's fun. Um, I would bore our kids to death with this. Um, so I'm just, I'm here to have fun. I'm here to talk about the Bible. We're going to get a good look at God's Word. And uh, yeah. So before we do that, we'll say a little prayer. Jesus, I thank you for your goodness and for your mercy, God. Thank you for your presence and your power that's already been demonstrated here tonight. And I pray that even though we're just in what we would consider Bible study, God, that you would continue to move and continue to work and change people's lives. And I pray that you would have your way speak to us through your word and help me not to bore them to death. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This is an exciting night. God's moving. We also have a baptism after service. Bram is getting baptized tonight. We're so happy about that, about the work that God's doing in his life. We're so happy to have his family here tonight. So it's just awesome. I don't know what you guys expected when you came to midweek, but man, it's, it's a good night. God's good. That's why you got to come to midweek. You never know what's going to happen. Be faithful to midweek. Big little book, Zechariah chapter 9. I'm going to start. I'm going to read a few. I'm going to read verses, portions of scripture, and we'll break it down. Uh, Yeah, so starting at verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord against the land of Hadrach. I guess this should have probably told you I'm reading New King James. The burden of the word of the Lord against the land of Hadrach and Damascus, its resting place. For the eyes of men and all the tribes of Israel are on the Lord. Also against Hamath, which borders on it, and against Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise. For Tyre built herself a tower, heaped up silver like dust and golds like the mire of the street. Behold, the Lord will cast her out. He will destroy her power in the sea, and she will be devoured by fire. Ashkelon shall see it in fear. Gaza also shall be very sorrowful. And Ekron, for he dried up her expectation. The king shall perish from Gaza, and Ashkelon shall not be inhabited. A mixed race shall settle in Ashdod, and I will cut off the pride of the Philistines. I will take away the blood from his mouth and the abominations from between his teeth. But he who remains, even he shall be for our God and shall be like a leader in Judah and Ekra like a Jebusite. I will camp around my house because of the army, because of him who passes by and him who returns. No more shall an oppressor pass through them, for now I have seen with my eyes. So what in the world does that mean? Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah is a prophet. He speaks on behalf of God. He's a messenger to the people of Israel. And he's, he's in the previous verses, he's really called for a, a revival of faithfulness to God and a resurrection of faith in the practice of, uh, of, of Judaism, their, the faith of that time, a call for them to return to covenant. And so, I mean, that's why if, if you just open up your Bible and read this, it's not going to make any sense. But just to give some context, he's a prophet speaking on behalf of God. And so this, this burden, this word of the Lord, the, the word burden, it could also, it's a, it's a unique word, could also be trans, uh, translated to mean an oracle. So it's an oracle against these nations. It's um, the Lord is speaking to these cities, to these nations, to these people that uh, inhabit the land north of Israel, uh, enemies of Israel. So this word burden that we see in, in chapter 1 is, is pretty interesting because, yes, it could also mean oracle. So there's a hint of irony, a, a little play on words that uh, Zechariah is doing there because it is an oracle of the Lord 
that is being conveyed to these nations, but it also is a burden in and of itself. It's, it's, and that burden is the judgment, the, the, the devastation that awaits these people, the enemies of Israel, the enemies of God, ultimately. Now, the residents of these cities, like I said, they're, they're enemies. They're pagan nations. They have no regard for the people of God. They have no regard for the ways of God, for the things of God. Uh, for example, uh, it mentions Damascus. The people, the Arameans that lived in Damascus, uh, fought alongside the Assyrians when Israel was brought into captivity. So these people had assaulted and had uh, killed and, and, and slaughtered Israel for years. They were in opposition. They stood in opposition to everything that was pro-Israel, everything that was pro-God, if you, if you could put it that way. They were absolute enemies of all things God. So needless to say, they're not really stand-up people. And God's words here are direct and to the point. These mighty cities would be cut down, would be brought down, would be uh, just absolutely demolished. And, you know, there's, there's, with those words, there's fear because there, there's something coming. The prophet is saying there's something coming that's going to bring these great cities, these great people to their knees. And so, if you remember Pastor Donovan, the last time, a couple weeks ago, when he talked about it, he mentioned Tyre and mentioned uh, these cities. He mentioned, so, if you, if you look throughout history, you read um, what happens in, uh, not long after Zechariah. There is a, uh, uh, Alexander the Great, you know, he's making his way to, to Egypt, to conquer Egypt. And all these cities are in the path of his conquest, okay? So, most would agree that the, this prophecy found its fulfillment in Alexander the Great because he absolutely demolished these cities. Now, these weren't just any cities. These were great cities. These were uh, very affluent, very uh, stable economically, uh, very fortified militarily. They were stable. They were powerful forces in that region. Uh, I mean, Tyre. Tyre was one of the most important commercial cities in the ancient Near East at that time. It was a hub for trading. Uh, a wide variety of goods. And Tyre was made up of two parts. You had the old city of Tyre, which was in the mainland. And uh, historians say several hundred paces uh, out in the water there was an island, and that was the island of Tyre. Okay, so, and both were just fascinating, very, very affluent, like I said, very strong, very respected cities. Or it was one city. They were very, a very respected community. Um, the island itself was considered unconquerable, okay? It was, it was, so one, it's an island. I mean, that's hard enough as is. But it was guarded by a double wall that was 150 feet high. So not only is Tyre this prosperous economic hub, but it's well fortified. And history confirms that the Assyrians uh, that lived in the mainland, they sieged, attempted to take over Tyre. For five years, they sieged the city and the people of Tyre and did not succeed. Tyre stood strong. It was considered a failure. For five years, they failed to overtake the city. So if anyone, you know, you've got the prospering of these nations. If anyone here is at a disadvantage in the region, it was Israel. If anyone had reason to worry or fear, it was certainly not these powerful cities, not Tyre, not Damascus. There is, however, a principle. Uh, I'm not just here to give you history, but there's a principle here in the text uh, that we see, and it's that when you have God on your side, you have everything you need. It may seem as though everyone around you, as wicked as they may be, seem to prosper in everything they do. 
They seem to have security. They seem to have the finances. They seem everything you struggled to, to achieve, everything you struggle to, to grasp, they seem to just have it. But we see that without God, without God's favor, all those things are futile. None of those things are guaranteed. And the people of God should not be distracted or discouraged by the prosperity and the powers of those around them. David, David had an issue with this. He had a struggle with this himself in Psalms chapter 73, verse 2 and 3. He says this, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So David's confessing, he's frustrated because he sees all these wicked people, all these wicked nations, all these people gaining and getting and achieving. And they have no regard for God. They have no regard for his law, for his covenant. They, they're, they're wicked. They do abominations. And he's, he's frustrated. He's, he's confessing. He says, I almost slipped like my feet. It almost stumbled because this was something I, I could not wrap my mind around. And he said this in verse 16, he says, When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they were brought to desolation as in a moment. Now God's people have to understand that his delay is not his approval. He doesn't work on our time schedule. He's just. Trust me, His Word declares He is just. He's righteous. And you can be confident and know that He is going to give each person their reward. Whether you've sown in un unrighteousness and ungodliness, whether they've sown in evil and wickedness, or whether you've served so sown in faithfulness, you're going to reap what you have sown. That's what the Bible says. And so this is ex exactly what we see play out in Zechariah's prophecy in chapter, chapter 9. The faithful are rewarded and the wicked are judged. You see, these northern territories, like I said, would be absolutely decimated by the conquest of Alexander the Great. The fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. These, these cities, these people who were so, so respected, so affluent, so built up by their own wealth, by their own ability, by their own power, fell at in a moment. It seemed that they had it all together. It seemed that they were prospering. But in a, a moment, like I said, Tyre had been assaulted for over five years by the Assyrians and no avail. But Alexander the Great conquered the city in seven months. And here's what, like to add insult to injury, Alexander the Great destroys the old city on the mainland. And then he takes the rubble. I mean, absolutely decimates the city. Takes the rubble and builds a causeway across the water. Uses the rubble of the old city to walk out across the water to destroy the new city. If that is not the most embarrassing way, that, I mean, it's incredible. I don't think Alexander the Great was a great guy, but props to him because that's pretty sick to be remembered for that. Absolutely incredible. So all these years they're prospering. All these years they're getting, they're gaining. And they're, they're in, in, in a moment. As if, like David said, it's gone in a moment. Alexander the Great was God's instrument of judgment to Israel's enemies. And all these cities from, from Tyre, Sidon, Damascus, Ashdod, Gaza were brought down swiftly within months. Okay? 
And so that's, that's what's playing out. The, the verses 1 through 6 is this prophecy of what's going to happen. And we see it play out through history. I do find something interesting in verse 7. Uh, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 7. It says, I will take away the blood from his mouth and the abomination from between his teeth. But he who remains, even he shall be for our God and shall be like a leader in Judah and Ekron like a Jebusite. So he's saying, I'll take the blood, the abominations. I'm going to take the wickedness, the idolatry. All of that is going to be wiped away. And those that remain are going to be for me. It's interesting because even in the Old Testament, even in the midst of judgment, we see God's heartbeat, and that is mission. God is a missional God, and he, he's, he, his eyes are on all people, all the earth. Okay, So there's this surprisingly missional element to this verse. Although he's judging, although he's casting down, he makes it known that are some that are going to be welcome as if they were Israel's own. And so Israel's purpose from the beginning was to be a blessing to all nations. That's what God told Abraham. Through you, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Israel ultimately would be that vessel, okay? They were the ones who were supposed to bring the glory, the, the, the name of God to the earth around them. So it's pretty cool to see even in the Old Testament, God's heart is still mission. It's still reaching people. He's still welcoming all into covenant, welcoming all into relationship with Him. And so verse 8 concludes this oracle of judgment, this burden. Uh, and again, it's this powerful message that is historically confirmed. And again, it reminds us, if you're faithful to God, you know, you're going to get your reward. And that those that are sowing in wickedness, they're going to reap what they sow eventually. Don't allow bitterness to set in. Don't allow frustration to cause your feet to slip like David. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and all your ways acknowledge Him. He's going to take care of you. He always has taken care of his people, and he always will. Check this out. As a matter of fact, verse 8, God says, I will camp around my house because of the army, because of him who passes by and him who returns. No more shall an oppressor pass through them, for now I've seen with my eyes. God saw the, the turn of heart, the change of heart in Israel. And even with the, the chaos and the destruction that would surround Israel, God said that I am going to camp around you, my people. In other words, they wouldn't be touched. And history confirms it, okay? History confirms it. Alexander the Great makes his way down to Egypt. He, comes, he even visits Jerusalem. He makes his way into Jerusalem. But not once did he besiege it or attack it. He didn't conquer it, Israel or uh, Jerusalem. Uh, if you read, I mean, if you, if you really want to, there's an account, Josephus, who's an ancient historian. He actually records the account of Israel's high priest meeting with Alexander the Great and the, the, the prayer and the fasting that went in behind it. So while he's conquering and while he's destroying, he doesn't lay a finger on Israel. Again, if you trust in God, if you're faithful to him, he's going to take care of you. History confirms it. So Zechariah's prophecy against the nation turns on a dime to this messianic prophecy to Israel. He, he goes from speaking to these surrounding nations to speaking to his nation. In verse 9, it's really cool. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Does that sound familiar to anybody? We find the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9 in Jesus' triumphal entry to Jerusalem. 
So it's quite astounding, it's quite obvious how, how plainly these events play out. Your king is coming to you just and having salvation, riding on a donkey. And we find reference to Zechariah 9 and 9 in both Matthew 21 and John chapter 12. I'll, be, I'll read from John chapter 12. The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it was written. Here's the quote from Zechariah. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Verse 16 says this. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him, that they had done these things to him. And though it's clear they didn't fully grasp the significance at the time, Jesus Christ was in front of them, in, the, in their very sight, fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. The Messiah, the one that Israel had been looking for, was believed to be God's agent uh, that would bring Israel to its former glory, that would restore the kingdom of Israel. But they did not expect that God himself would become that human agent. And the kingdom had come. The kingdom he came to establish was, it wasn't one built with human hands, not one that belonged to any ethnicity or any political party or even time itself. It was an eternal kingdom that would be established for all the world, for everyone who would ever live. And Jesus fit all these criteria of Zechariah's prophecies. And it's evident in Matthew and John quoting Zechariah itself. So he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And donkeys, it's a, it's a lowly animal. It's, a, it's, one that, it's not uncommon for royalty to ride, but it's just a more common animal. Whether a shepherd or a king, they all rode donkeys at some point. It, it's a sign of humility, a sign of, of lowliness, of meekness. And though donkeys were not looked down on the horse, it's pretty interesting. The horse was much more of a regal and powerful animal, one that was uh, ridden into battle, that represented war. And then if you think about it, there's this subtle comparison that's happened in Zechariah's prophecy. Okay, Looking you know, with hindsight, we can see it. Zechariah's telling of this king, this conquering king that is going to absolutely destroy the nations. That's absolutely going to wreak havoc. And he flips the prophecy on a dime to tell about a king who's coming lowly and in humility, bringing salvation and bringing peace. So it's cool when you, when you do some digging to see just what's actually there in the text is comparison. Jesus isn't like any other king. He didn't come with his own selfish agenda or his own motives. He came for salvation. Say, he came with peace and with salvation in his hand. He came for you. That's what the, the Zechariah tells the people of Israel. He didn't come to corrupt or to exploit. In his own words, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. That's our king. He came not as a conquering warrior, but a humble servant. Now this was quite, opposite, quite the opposite of what Israel was hoping for, okay? They wanted a warrior, someone who would drive, deliver them from Roman rule. But what they failed to realize is that their king had truly come with salvation in his hands. And that triumphal entry, as we all know, it would lead to ultimately to his death on the cross. A shameful death. But it was that death where the victory was truly won. In three days, Jesus defeated death 
itself and reconciled humanity to God. He did what we could not do. He paid the price for our sins. He bore our guilt, bore our shame, and brought salvation himself by his own blood. That's our king. Aren't you thankful to know that name? The name of Jesus. Aren't you thankful for the blood of Jesus that washes away every sin? As we continue in Zechariah, you've got this shift. You've got the Messianic prophecy. And then there's a, there's a, a, a change that kind of happens. Okay, There's something, when it comes to prophecy, there's something that theologians, that scholars will refer to as the now and the not yet of prophecy. That is, that it can pertain to a certain time, a certain context, but it all, and it can find fulfillment in that, but it also can reach beyond that to another point in time. One theologian refers to it as double speak. It speaks to the here and now, but it also speaks beyond. Okay, So Zechariah describes a king coming in humility in verse 9 and 10. He alludes to the end of conflict and the establishment of peace once and for all. Verse 10 is where he says, I'll cut off the chariot of Ephraim. Um, I'll just paraphrase. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. Um, his dominion shall be from the sea uh, to the rivers to the end of the earth. So we know Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Through His sacrifice, through His outpouring of His Spirit, He's brought peace like the world has never known. He introduced peace. But there's still wars. There's still fighting. And Zechariah's prophecy says that it's going to end. So how do we deal with that? How do we reconcile that? Because he says... That the wars are going to stop in verse 9. or He says that the king is coming with peace and salvation. In verse 10 he says war is going to be over. So how do we reconcile that with our current situation? There's still war. There's still fighting, especially around Israel and the Middle East. And that is with the now and the not yet of prophecy. Okay, the double speak. Most would agree that Zechariah, there's a shift in his prophecy. It goes from this, this event that we see fulfilled in Jesus to the event that will be fulfilled when he returns again. Okay, The language that he uses, the shift in that, that, that when he begins to talk about the, the end of the wars, the ceasing of the wars, it, it, it's, it goes beyond that triumphal entry. It, it's dealing with what the Old Testament referred to as the day of the Lord. What we may refer to as the second coming. When... Jesus comes back and rights every wrong when he wipes evil off the face of the earth, when he defeats the enemy and his armies, you know, that day. And so Zechariah's prophecy kind of shifts, okay, from that. And that's where we see it play out from the rest, uh, the rest of chapter 9. So uh, verse 9, and, and some suggest that that's even why uh, John and Matthew, they quote verse 9, but they don't quote verse 10. And it's because... Uh, Essentially, it's easy to assume that they realize what that verse, that it was speaking of that day, the day of the Lord, the end of it all, when, when, when evil is truly done away with. There's still war. There's still things we battle and struggle with. There's still evil on the face of the earth. But there's coming a day when evil will be no more and Christ will reign as king of all. So there's that shift in prophecy in verse 10. And the same is true for 11 through 17, the 11 says, as, as for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. For I have bent Judah, my bow, fitted with the bow of Ephraim, and raised up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece.'" 
and made you like the sword of a mighty man. Then the Lord will be seen over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will blow the trumpet and go with the whirlwinds from the south. The Lord of hosts will defend them, and they shall devour them, subdued with slingstones. They shall drink and roar as if with wine. They shall be filled with blood like basins, like the corner of the altars. The Lord their God will save them in that day as the flock of his people. For they shall be like the jewels of a crown, lifted like a banner over the land. For how great it is, how great is its goodness, and how great is its beauty. Grain shall make the young men thrive, and the young women, and new wine the young women. So here we see, again, it's that shift, it's that change. It's, the verse 9 is dealing with this event, but all of a sudden the prophecy shifts, and, and it looks beyond, because here you have the, the king that's coming with peace, the king that's coming on a donkey, the king that's coming humble and lowly, and all of a sudden Zechariah is talking about God as a warrior. Judah, his people has a bow, and he's, he's got arrows like lightning. It's this divine warrior. So how does that, how does that king of peace turn into this king, this warrior king? It's, it's, the, it's the now and the not yet. We've seen Christ. We haven't seen him, but the Bible records Christ coming on the donkey, coming as that humble king, that humble servant. But we know that there's coming a day when he will wage war with evil. When he will put evil and the enemy, the devil, in its place. That humble king that died a humble and shameful death for our sins is going to stand victorious like a warrior in the end of all, of, uh, in the end of time. Read Revelation. There's quite a contrast in the Jesus we read in the Gospels and the Jesus we read about in Revelation. And that's what's happening here in Zechariah. He's shifting to the, the day of the Lord, to 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 that day but it's so it's so cool to see just the word of the lord and how we see already that there's been fulfillment and 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 already there's been judgment already there's been grace and mercy poured out and there's coming a day that we'll see the ultimate fulfillment of those prophecies amen so god affirms his faithfulness to the covenant with israel and now that covenant that we have through the blood of jesus christ he promises to set the prisoners free from the pit, he calls them to return to the stronghold. And that stronghold is no other but God himself. The Lord is our refuge and our strength, Psalm says. Solomon writes in Proverbs that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and they are saved. Church, there's no other source of security for you. There's no other stronghold that is going to last in this lifetime. The only thing that is guaranteed is God Himself. He's the source of our strength. And He's the source of our promise, provision. And He is the only promise of security that we have. We've got to ensure that our lives are built on Him. That our hope, our trust is not in our own abilities. It's not in our own resources. Because we see like these evil cities, we see like Tyre and Damascus. They had everything they could ever need. And in one moment, it was swept out from under them. In one moment, the stock market could crash. Your job could lay you off. You know, there, There's no telling. The only hope we have of security, the safest place that you will ever be, is in God's will and is in God's plan for your life. When it's all said and done, if you have trusted in Him, if you have lived your life for Him, you are on the winning side. And that's why Zechariah can say, 
Rejoice, you prisoners of hope. Their situation was bleak, but they had hope that was beyond their present situation. When your life is established on God, on His Word, when you're born again of the water and the Spirit, you have His name applied to your life in baptism. You're filled with His Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. When you are in relationship with God, there is nothing in this world that can break you down. There is nothing in this world. Even death itself has been conquered by our King. Paul said, if this is all we have to hope for, we believers, ministers, we're of all men most miserable. But we have a hope that is greater than anything in this world. A hope that's anchored in eternity. A hope that's anchored in the king above all kings. And so that's the, that's the idea of what Zechariah goes on to finish the chapter with. Israel in their lowly and humiliating state. I'm coming to a close. You can stand. Israel is fresh out of Babylon uh, captivity in Babylon. This nation is a shell of who they once were. Israel used to be such a strong and powerful and glorious nation, but they had rejected God's covenant and found themselves just an absolute shell uh, of who they were. And as they begin to return to, to faithfulness, as they begin to return to what they know is right, God says, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to lift you up. Right now, it doesn't look like much. Right now, your circumstance looks bleak. It looks hopeless. But you are going to be like a jewel in a crown. You're going to be a banner over the land. That's what Zechariah says. Though they went without, they're going to be full. They're going to be thriving on the provision of God. And so I want to encourage somebody today that you and I have hope to cling to. We, the church, are the people of God. And we have hope, we have peace beyond what this world can comprehend, beyond what this world could offer. You may find yourself today like, like Israel, like Zechariah says, you may find yourself in that pit, but you can have hope because God is going to lift you up from where you are to where He is. From where you are to where He wants you to be. You may be going without now, struggling to provide but if you put your trust in Him, you will never go without. He's the source of your hope, the source of your provision, even if this life does not pan out the way you thought it would. You go to the grave disappointed with how things turned out. You, even if this life doesn't work out, that's not the end of your story. For the people of God, those who have been born again, death is not the end. Even death has been conquered by our King. There's coming a day where every tear will be wiped away. There will be no sickness, no pain. We will finally be in the presence of the one who created us. The one who died for us. Church, you're on the winning side. You are on the winning side. Even death itself cannot keep us down. Our king has fought. He's already won the victory. He won the victory at Calvary. When he poured out his blood for you on that cross. When he died and he rose again. And You are on the winning side. Rejoice. 
for your king is coming to you. He has come. There was a man named Jesus that died for your sins, that died for you, for your family. He died that you might have hope, that you might have access to God and to eternal life. And, and, and He's in this room today. He's already shown Himself strong. He's already been moving and working in the lives of His people tonight. And if you need a touch from Him, if you need to connect with Him, tonight is your night. We're going to open these altars and we want to give you an opportunity to talk to Him, to touch heaven, to get what you need because your King has come to you bringing peace, bringing salvation, bringing healing, bringing power and strength provision whatever you have need of he's got it available so these altars are open i encourage you just for a few moments why don't you we all make our way to the front and just talk to god whatever you have need of everyone in here at some level has needs everyone has something that they can they can bring to god and we're going to pray we're going to do a baptism but right now i think we should all just Take a moment and allow God's word to, to speak to us and allow God's spirit to move in us. Thank you for joining us. And for more information, you can visit us at GoBethesda.com. You can also visit us in person at 15050 Daigle Road, Prairieville, Louisiana. Services are at 10 a.m. Sunday and 7 p.m. on Wednesday.